0: you're listening to Big Shiny Takes, the show where we pick apart uh, terrible columns in the week with mostly a Canadian perspective. I'm your one of your co-hosts, Marino Greco. I'm joined today by Eric Wickham. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm doing better after that introduction. It was beautiful. <laughs> wow, I like,
0: yeah, I channeled some uh, J-School <laughs> slash NPR. I am not this calm, so... Let- it was beautiful. I really liked it. <laughs> I've been like walking every morning this week, and I think it like it's really affecting my mood and, and disposition. So yeah.
1: Oh, that's good, man. I'm glad that you're you're doing well. I feel like every day is like literally the exact same, and they're all melting into each other, and I'm I'm starting to lose my place in uh, chronological time.
0: Oh, there's definitely a little bit of that going on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's
1: a it's a ton of fun, eh?
0: Oh yeah. And uh, I'm also joined by uh, Mr. Jeremy Appel. Jeremy, how are you doing today?
2: Not as good as Eric, but uh, not bad. I, I think I found a new apartment to move into next month, uh, which I'm excited for. Um, it will allow me to have a cat, mm. which I've long wanted. So, yeah, that's great. You know, things are things are
1: looking up. Can we name the cat as a podcast?
2: No, well, it, it's going to
1: be a uh, rescue, so they would already have a name. You, can, you could call it whatever you want. <laughs> like that, that's a, <laughs> that's the cat true, it's not a baby. <laughs> like, you can just call it Brock Harrison. <laughs> mm. No, uh, Eric, I, identity theft yeah. is
0: a serious crime.
1: <laughs> you should tell Brock that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, we're, uh, so we're here this week, and we're going to talk about a pr- Pretty big issue. Uh, a legacy newspaper that was recently—the parent company was recently sold to a bunch of bunch of uh, conservative financiers. I'm of course talking about the Toronto Star. Guys, what are your impressions of the Toronto Star?
2: I think that it's mostly good, or has historically been. It has a lot of the same problems that you see in other liberal, small-L media outlets. Like, constantly trying to prove itself to people who don't actually read the paper and have no intention of by publishing crap. But they do publish some great reporters and columnists. And the latter, as you may know, is quite rare in this country.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But
2: but I think that the, the start is somewhat distinct from most other newspapers that I'm aware of in that they have a set of principles that outlined uh, their vision.
0: Mm-hmm. The Atkinson
2: principles. Yeah. And maybe we should uh, read some of those because they're, I, I think they're quite good, except for one.
1: There's got to be like, so, there's always one bad rule yeah exactly um so and and it's
2: actually the first one they list which is a strong united and independent canada
0: yeah this uh principle this chief principle that the state has the right to intervene when uh private initiative fails which is sort of like a preamble into like the bullet points on the stars website and i think it's aligned with that chief principle of like the you know strong and proud and free canada uh i'm Obviously editorializing a bit there, but it's not, that's like, it's the most outmoded sort of one.
2: Well, I I think it's bad because I'm a Wexit guy, as you know, (laughs) and so I do not support a United Canada. I mean, if I was starting an independent news outlet, these would all be part of the set principles. And those are uh, quickly social justice, individual and civil liberties, community and civic engagement the rights of working people of it and the necessary role of government
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and i think that the first one is quite redundant
1: yeah you know what you take the first one and you replace it with on wednesdays we wear pink and you keep the rest of them that's a that's a solid set of principles
2: the point is uh Star, good but i think it it operates within some of the same constraints as Every mainstream media outlet, particularly newspapers.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, for me, I always felt like the Toronto Star was um, the one light in the dark where it was an actual functioning, uh, competent newspaper in this country, um, which honestly is getting harder and harder to find. So the fact that it's it sold and it's sold for so little and it's sold to the people it sold to is incredibly incredibly disappointing. I mean, you, the the thread that Lori Goldstein of all people was posted or posted a uh the, the night of the toronto star sale where he mentioned uh, and laurie
2: goldstein is uh columnist with the toronto sun yes yeah. our canadian media
1: know. hall of fame uh <laughs> recipient by the way which is a thing by the way could you imagine a more obscure hall of fame like, <laughs> like what a boring group of people but honestly like he was talking about how how the toronto sun was bought by Quebecor. In, in the late nineties for like nine hundred million dollars and then was sold off to post media for a couple hundred million dollars. And then the Toronto Star was bought for fifty two million dollars in twenty twenty. And it's like the cliff that the value of, of our media outlets in this country have fallen off of is so, so, so terrifying. Like I I don't know why it's taken taken uh it's like riding behemoth at wonderland yeah it and you know it's not done like these things are just gonna go right through the ground uh until until the only thing that's left is uh us <laughs> you're here to pick the pieces back up no 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 i
0: i i totally agree with what you're saying it's nice to see uh organizations i think like national observer is getting that really Mm. like official status level same with press progress and like stuff like passage and rabble is definitely worth reading and like
2: and uh i would just say from from a a western canadian perspective the sprawl is doing great Mm. as a media startup uh full disclosure i've written one piece for them and i'm working on a second and possibly third so i like them
1: yeah, and you know what? Ricochet is also a great little nonprofit organization that is doing media.
2: Oh, yeah. Never heard and of them.
1: That's the network that we're on, so we should have mentioned them first. We're on a network? We're on a podcast network, boys. What is a podcast? How do you have a podcast network, though? I, do you really? It's like a series of tubes. <laughs> Anyways,
2: I think
0: that these, I think this network of uh, new media is gonna fill the inevitable hole
1: when uh, everything except the CBC basically implodes. <laughs> well, we're like we're tracking towards that. Like I was thinking about this this week is, is like the amount of community papers that get shut down per year eventually will hit the number zero because there's gonna be none left. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how many Metroland papers or or post media papers that are owned across the country or independent spaces are making money and and it's it's crazy to me that every year post media can close 40 papers and then collect six to eight million dollars of taxpayer money to keep pushing out uh columns written by people that live in
2: 1982 and and just uh again for our listeners uh outside the gta metroland is a chain of community newspapers owned by Torstar which owns the trust. And I
0: believe it was shut down just a couple months before this sale took place, right?
1: Uh no, I got a I got an email from someone from Star Metroland the other day. Um they still They exist. weren't
2: all shut down. And 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 the Star also has bureaus now throughout the country in Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Halifax, I think, which they had tried to establish as independent papers, Star Metro, and I know in Alberta they did some great work, but they since folded them into bureaus of the Toronto Star. Yeah,
0: it's not a it's not a good path. And like Eric said, it, I did feel like for all like the Toronto Star is not perfect. Don't don't get us wrong, but they published like Jeremy said, they published a lot of great ideas, and like Eric said, they are like, a light shining in the darkness. That's how I feel, too, which is why it's well, well, so sad to see it, like, be sold to these conservative financiers. But they do have bad takes. Oh, oh yeah.
1: Yes,
2: <laughs> they do, indeed. I, I also, since we mentioned the Atkinson principles, I think it's worth noting that the new owners of the Toronto Star said that they will adhere to the Atkinson principles, regardless of what their own political views are. But I mean, one one of these columns we're going to read is from a long-time Star columnist. The other is a guest column that I don't know if they would have ran under their previous. Ownership. Let's <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> I looked what? up I looked the guy up though, Jeremy,
0: for uh, the guest columnist, and he was a former editor of the wheels section of the Toronto star. I love that <laughs> column the, so much. That,
2: that, well, well, I think we were going to get to the column, but as you will see, dear listener, that probably should have been disclosed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it, in his like little, uh, tag about the, like at the bottom, I think it's, it said something. Cause I, I remember. Oh, does it say
2: it. in his bio?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I seem to remember reading that and going, "Oh, okay, this guy's car obsessed, yeah." And he's writing about how bad cyclists are. Like, I wonder, I wonder how this is gonna go.
0: Yeah, that's and- that's exactly what I thought. Like, just not exactly an impartial voice.
1: No, no, it's not that a the city, pl-
0: not that a city planner would be, but like, we're gonna get some car nerd <laughs> yeah. to talk about like civic infrastructure. Yeah. Like,
1: it's it's just bullshit, right? Like, it's like they would interview lance armstrong about you know the viability of more bike paths in the city like i just <laughs> just why him. would you talk to him like of course he's gonna think that we should have more bike paths because he likes cycling a lot
2: bikes have wheels
1: yeah, bikes honestly <sighs> glue two bikes together it's a car there you go
0: <laughs> so i think we should start that,
1: that's just that's just a fact yeah that's an objective fact and honestly don't send me any emails about it send them to my ombudsman please <laughs> uh, do you guys want to talk a bit about that uh jesse brown
2: katie simpson uh, exchange on twitter because uh, it, it was weird i don't know it's a, a lot super about weird it. one uh, katie simpson, not it's not his
1: shining moment okay yeah so so it's super weird first of all katie simpson is a great reporter i think she does a very good job i think she is, is she yeah yeah i think she she reports things impartially and she is a she's like a good reporter. I can't remember right, a right. single time, but that she she ever like blew anything. You know, like she's she's done very big stories, and she's been very professional throughout. And she's been the 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 subject of a lot of harassment and and vitriol from the the Canadian public, and I don't know why. So she uh, she was a little upset at that. And I don't even know if upset's the right word. What she she did is she said, okay, if you have legitimate criticisms of me, please send them to my ombudsman. Um, and if you're just going to say really mean shit to me, I'm going to save it and teach future generations of journalists with it. And Jesse Brown, for some reason, thought that was uh, disgusting. <laughs> yeah, he, he like like, I think,
2: to be fair to Jesse, who we all like more or less. I think with quarantine and just the uncertainty about things opening up and how long it's going to last and if there's going to be a second wave, I think a lot of people are having a normal one, mm. if if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so I don't, you know, I've found myself at times very irritable and it shows when I'm tweeting, I think, but. In any event, it was very over the top and he got roasted for it, rightfully so. In I mean, my I don't I'm not that familiar with Katie Simpson's work. I know she's a parliamentary reporter who is like a straight like reporter's reporter yes. that just tells it like it is. And as the listeners probably know, that's not my vision of journalism, but I, I respect it when people do it well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, I can't remember a time where she's like put a, (laughs) like a shoelace out of place. She's just been like straight as an arrow the entire time. And I think you, you bring a really good point up that it like Jesse's probably got a little bit of quarantine brain. He also has a history of really disliking the CBC. I think I think he he took a swing at as it happens um full disclosure I I'm a former intern on that show he went after them for bullying somebody it was a very weird story um you can, it's probably still online I don't know if it carries any weight just from my own personal experience and the people that were named in the story and <laughs> and for other reasons but he he just seems to really dislike the CBC and I feel like that probably played a little bit into his uh vitriolic tweets.
2: Yeah, and again, uh, he got raked over the coals for though I saw some people defending him cuz his his main point, I think it's worth noting so we're not misinterpreting him, is that saying legitimate complaints about her work should have to go through official channels is what he was attacking, but Honestly, Jesse, there's time and place. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's that like that's a fine point, but when someone's talking about getting viciously harassed, then maybe don't use this be as so a... critical of the way that they're dealing with it. Cause quarant cause Katie Simpson, I'm sure, also has quarantine brain, and quarantine brain plus Twitter brain is <laughs> a lethal combination. Yeah. I can
1: tell you that. I I think like if his criticism was because of a specific piece, if it was because she like really messed up with an interview or didn't disclose that she had a personal relationship with an interview subject that she had and she let someone off the hook, then yeah, yeah, I'd I say like let it let it fly. but none of those things happened. Like she was just she was fed up with being like the the victim of uh, cyberbullying uh, for lack of a better term.
2: I wouldn't call it cyberbullying because cyberbullying is cool and good. (laughs) I would say online vicious harassment, right? Yeah.
1: Okay. So what we're we're doing to Brock Harrison is cyberbullying. What happened to Katie Simpson is
0: harassment. Okay. Creating a, like, facetious hashtag. Seriously, creating a facetious hashtag in jest about, like, some, like, conservative PR dude who we don't agree with stealing your face is not the same as someone (laughs) being like, Katie Simpson is a liberal bleep, 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 you know,
1: like.
2: Right. Because one is cyberbullying, one is harassment.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Cyberbullying is fun. Yeah, and also, it's not a facetious hashtag. Hashtag give it back, Brock. (laughs)
0: Yes, 100% sincere. Just stealing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Eric. This is a serious matter. He is stealing your face.
1: I've literally never believed in anything my entire life. I believe very wholeheartedly (laughs) in this cause, and I will not rest until I get my face back.
2: Yeah, Godspeed. And I think it's worth announcing that I have been blocked by Brock Harrison. (laughs) The podcast is not. In fact, this morning... This is June the 12th. He gave us a follow unfollow on the <laughs> pod account, which means we're in his head. So <laughs> listeners, I urge you ask him to address this form of identity theft with the hashtag, give it back Brock. And maybe, maybe give Eric a tag too, right? Cause victims deserve justice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also unblock Jeremy.
2: Yeah, you coward. <laughs> and, and Joe Wormington should unblock me too. But anyways, we weren't <laughs> here to talk about petty Twitter drama, although we do love that. Let's talk about a couple of pieces in the Toronto Star that came out li- lately that were ominous. Let's, let's lead with our best. Let's lead with this uh, anti-cyclist rant.
1: So, yeah, I'll I'll cover this one because this was a fun weekend read for me. Uh, it's written by a gentleman by the name of Norris McDonald who looks like he was there when they invented bicycles. Um oh. Yeah, what he's I'm saying is he's old. <laughs> he's a he is an elderly gentleman, which yeah, means we gonna, shouldn't listen to him.
0: I was going to call him a boomer for this take and then I looked him up and
1: he's uh
0: he does not follow... He's a bit <laughs> past that bracket.
1: Yeah, he's a World War One veteran. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> it's incredible. Okay, so let's let's get into this piece written by Norris McDonald's, former editor of the Wheels section of the Toronto Star, which I think is a defunct section of the newspaper. I remember seeing it when the Saturday Star was actually like a substantial thing and it would like show up at the house and it, I'd get past the Wheels section to get to other sections that human beings would give a shit about. Nice.
0: But I, I also think bike lanes are important, and I don't think that my fucking fandom <laughs> of cars should dictate city policy. Anyways. Yeah,
1: it's brave of you to admit, because I like soccer, and I tell nobody. Uh, okay, so council added 40 kilometers of bike lanes when nobody was looking. An opinion piece by Norris McDonald. It doesn't say that, I'm just it, I'm adding that. There's a coronavirus-threatening civilization, so the city of Toronto decided to fast-track the building of 40 more kilometers of bicycle lanes. First things first, I guess. Okay. So <laughs> so so in Norris is a car infested brain. Because of a pandemic, the city of Toronto is shock doctrining not any sort of policy that would get them more money, but new places to ride your bike. Gentlemen, any ideas? Any feelings? I mean that
2: seems it seems like a pretty good time to have more ba- bike lanes because biking is a socially distant activity inherently as opposed to going on transit which should be free Mm -hmm. and it should be better
1: yeah yeah it should be free and it should be better but also biking in toronto is like it's already like it's not very good if you compare it to other countries i mean if you compare it to other cities in canada it's decent like it's like I, I would say like probably Montreal is probably a little bit better but like if you compare it to any place in Europe Toronto is yes. a car city most people have to drive you have to drive to get to most places unless you're right downtown and if you live right downtown you either live with eight people or you're spending six dollars a month. The subway is very linear. It just basically stick.
0: goes in a loop with a few disparate lines and then other than that it's just buses and the buses are like completely hamstrung by massive amounts of traffic and traffic. And the best part of this this pandemic has been how empty the streets have been and, and that is like changing and obviously there there's still a lot of people or there's still a lot of cars in in major sections and like even the city council was like resistant to like calls to remove lanes so that to allow like pedestrians like more space until like now they they've finally done a few
1: yeah so like honestly from the first paragraph i'm i'm already making the judgment call that norris probably doesn't live downtown because if he did he'd probably see the value of having bike lanes so people can get around safely and quickly like I, I just don't understand why anybody in 2020 would think that using a car was the best way of getting around downtown Toronto. Okay, let's uh, let's keep going. Um, this is this is a fun part where uh, Norris discovers how Google Ads work unintentionally. Okay, so this is apparently historic in that it is the biggest one-year expansion of the bike network in Toronto's history. Just the sort of thing you slide through when people aren't paying attention <laughs> like again, he's just like they they snuck it past us. they snuck all these these safe places to ride your bike past us uh, it, well,
2: it's like it's like Matt Lau, right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who's using right It's the right wing shock doctrine narrative, <laughs> yeah. like Naomi Klein shock doctrine flipped on its head, so it's these do gooding hippies.
1: Making life easier that, for people.
2: Make, making life easier for people and using the pandemic as an opportunity to that. They're using a crisis to promote their ideological agenda, which is true in that their ideological agenda is for the betterment of mankind. <laughs>
1: Literally and making the, life easier for people.
0: Also, it's meant for like Toronto citizens who use bikes, not like people from out of town who drive in, which are that's primarily who drives.
1: Yeah, yeah. In any event... I wanted to double check the facts for this column. So I Googled bike lanes, Toronto (laughs) (laughs) and a local (laughs) news site called Toronto.com, a Metroland publication popped up. Um, So, (laughs) so really, really good that like the way this guy's journalism process or journalistic process works is Googling, vague statements and vague keywords um and then the fact that he didn't realize that toronto.com is um loosely affiliated with the the paper that he's writing in wild we don't know that
2: (laughs) yeah i i I mean he very well could have i mean the guy writes the wheels section like that cannot be understated
1: yeah, I mean like, he, he
2: like he like, like he's he he's like an ad years. he's he never
1: heard of toronto.com
2: right but the point is he's an advertising guy right he writes ad copy essentially to yeah, attract yeah. I think I think he's being I think he's being a little flip here I think when he says
0: local news site he's being like facetious to use my million dollar word twice i mean he's already yeah. set the tone with the first things first i, I feel guess, like you're giving I him think. too much credit i don't know i, I that he's I, like
1: winking about it first of all good journalists at toronto.com a couple a uh, couple friends of the show i think aaron d'andrea is there i think uh veronica appia is also there um and hunter
2: hunter crowder right? i
0: think he got let go because of the
1: pandemic Okay, everybody, but Hunter. (laughs) uh,
2: Hunter, if you're listening, come on the pod sometime. Yeah, you should come on the pod, especially if you don't have a job right now. Because doing podcasts feels like a job, except it doesn't pay. Yes,
1: but it's more rewarding. Okay, I'm going to keep going. The main story was about the bike lane expansion, but that wasn't what caught my eye. (laughs) Just Norris is so on this. Uh, Right across the top of (laughs) Toronto.com was an ad for a 2020 Kia Sorento. Even better, in the shoulder of the story was another ad for the same car. There wasn't an ad for a bicycle anywhere so on that page. Just car ads. <laughs> and then in brackets, there was another one at the bottom. <laughs> now, we know which two modes of transportation pays the freight around here. Okay, so I'm just going to I'm going to break this down very quickly for you guys because uh because you guys are legitimate journalists. You never had to deal with Google Ads. But the way Google Ads works is it takes information that it has collected about the user the person who's been browsing so if you're using a google chrome browser and you're googling cars like the 2020 kia sorento um like norris mcdonald probably does at 4 a.m just not being able to sleep just like i just need to see a blue kia sorento because he's just like an idiot like who likes cars every 2020 model look like (laughs) he probably had first of all this guy has a car as the background on his desktop computer that he bought in 1998 and that's what he wrote this column <laughs> on. And everything he does on the computer is probably car-related. So every ad he sees on every site is going to be car-related. Oh, my God. I hate you, Norris. I can't believe this made it past an editor. <laughs> I, they probably laughed. They probably read it laughing.
0: Let's publish this silent generation.
2: <laughs> or the new bosses said, we need to publish more content like this. Oh, man.
1: I honestly, I feel like this coming right after the purchase of the Toronto Star, I think people were probably a little bit concerned about their livelihoods. (laughs) I thought
0: thought you were going to say this coming after the purchase of a 2020
1: Kia Sorento. Sorento. A blue Kia Sorento with leather seats. (laughs) (laughs) With
0: with the athletic package
1: or something. This is just advertorial for Kias. Um, Uh, Anyways, uh in any event the story said and then great use of an end dash and i quote another great use of an M- dash that the bike lanes will make it easier for commuters to get to and from work during the covid19 crisis somebody should tell council that nobody's at work during the crisis including them <laughs> <Aha>! <laughs> Shut up, Norris. they did though they did this <laughs> while holding a virtual meeting So it's like I guess I guess we're never ever gonna go back to work, right?
0: So then cars aren't going to work either, right? So then maybe (laughs) we should
2: still allow space for cyclists. Whoa, 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 whoa. hold on! Without cars, how are people gonna get to their cottages?
1: (laughs) Thank you. you. I needed to know that. Okay, cool. I imagine they got these brainwaves after reading stories that were in the Star recently. That's the, that's the newspaper. It, this is this article. Well, this there isn't, was, in, this is an inside job. Yeah, seriously. There was one that caught my eye in which urban designers imagine a car free road network in post pandemic Toronto, <laughs> which is like the, the worst case scenario for this guy.
0: I'm thinking of the, the Simpsons scene where Lionel Hutz thinks of imagines a world before <laughs> lawyers. Yeah. And
1: everybody's holding hands uh, in the sunshine. No, that,
2: that's exactly <laughs> what this is.
1: So, so then uh, Norris lets us know about the freedom ring road and how it, it will encircle the city, blah, blah, blah. Fun. This is like a fun turn in this, this column. Will somebody please tell these people that this is not California. We live in Canada. Even in a good winter, it is either too cold to ride a bike or there is snow on the ground five months of the year, sometimes six.
0: Um, my dude, my dude, people cannot afford cars. I
1: just, but I think I think the next
2: the next the next paragraph is the kicker.
1: Right? I, I, I just that, I love that because he just like outright lies about how much uh, winter Toronto gets. Like, do, do you remember any time in your life where winter lasted six months a year? No.
0: I bet a lot more people would bike if there weren't fucking like a million cars on the road in winter.
1: Yeah. Riding I, a bike in the winter isn't a big deal. You just get like fatter tires and you're fine. The problem is um being sideswiped by an SUV. Yeah, you know?
2: that's problematic.
1: Yeah, that's that's more problem like that's more problematic than getting uh a little snow on your, your forehead.
2: I, I, I do think because it's problematic we should cancel driving SUVs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. I agree. Um, yes, some people cycle 12 months a year. Not many, but some. At the Star, there are two that I know of. <laughs> <Semi-clone>. <laughs> At the Globe, one guy not only cycled to work each and every day, but he and his family always took a January vacation in a non-insulated ca- cabin north of Kenora that didn't have electricity. And then in brackets, they sure didn't have to worry about black flies, did they? But the outdoor privy must have been something else great it's great (laughs) (laughs) just thank you norris thank you so much first of all i don't know if either of you guys have gone winter camping but it's not that big of a deal and it's actually pretty comfy as long as it's like not minus 30 and you're not sweating at all it's it's like camping normally but there's no bugs Um, you just have to be on top of the fire i watch a lot of bushcrafting like youtube videos yeah and then you know you wake up in the morning and then your food's all frozen and so you have to like either have to deal with frozen food or you start a fire and you cook your stuff it's fine it's totally fine second of all norris probably knows about 12 people and 10 of them probably are are equally as obsessed with cars as him and the other two ride their bike occasionally and he calls them hippies and throws trash at them when they cycle by
2: but but that's that this is a common thread i think throughout right-wing canadian media editorializing that what we talk about in our social circles is of public interest.
1: Yeah, it's it's like... It's when, like, well, my
2: friend was telling me, yeah, I don't care. You don't have friends. We know
1: this. Just say what you think and why should we care? Yeah, well, I think the real thing that should be told to Norris, like the real, real takeaway Norris should take from everybody laughing at him is that him and his friends are stupid and nobody wants to hear from them. Because really, this is just taking up space where something that would have had some sort of value to uh, a Torontonian's life could also be residing. But no, we got to pay- Like, say,
2: talking about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And race. Yeah. Which I'm sure the star does, but they did fire Desmond Cole, sort of, like, in a very passive-aggressive fashion. Yeah. Was- because he was writing about race too much. Ugh. Whereas this guy, I mean, from what I gather, writes about cars a bit too much. Don't you think?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> downtown in the city of, in the old city of Toronto is where the cyclists live. And there, within reason, is where they should be, where there should be bike lanes everywhere. Okay. I say within reason, because University Avenue south of Bloor is not a good reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> it will prove to be dangerous because it's a major thoroughfare for traffic coming into and going out of Toronto.
2: If only city planning was something that existed.
1: Yeah, well, it doesn't, so I guess we're just going to have to deal with cars. It reminds me of one of the most famous thoroughfares in Europe, the Champs-Élysées Ch- Ch- in Paris. Yeah. Let's just say it, let's just say it, full Anglophone, champs to it.
2: Elise. Elise's in Paris. Yeah, Champs de Elise's. <laughs> U- Ulysses <laughs> champions.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Perfect. I think we should change it to that.
1: Yep. Yeah. The Ontario legislature at Queen's Park is about where the Arc de Triomphe would be sorry the arch de Triomphe. you can get over to queen's park on crosswalks or at intersections semicolon i hate semicolon so much it's virtually impossible to get to the arch because it's in the middle of a traffic circle okay <laughs> why why do you got to get there which rem- this is like this is probably one of the kickers uh, This is probably one of the, everybody's favorite parts which reminds me Would the bicycle lobby quit saying things like we should be reducing or eliminating cars and car parking on our main boulevards, as is the case throughout Europe? They say this knowing that not all that many GTA residents have been to Europe. I have many times, (laughs) particularly in the last two years. Cars are everywhere. See my reference to the champs, Alysses, as (laughs) just one example. And they park on those streets, too. Okay, lots to unpack here. Um, bicycle lobby doesn't exist.
2: I think it's time someone finally talked about the cyclist-occupied government.
1: I, I love that he, he's bragging about how much he's been to Europe in the last two years and the fact that there's cars He's the there. only person, <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: basically. <laughs> No yeah, one, no, no one goes to Europe. We can't, we can't go onto the Google.com and Google a Europe to see an ad of a Kia Sorento. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's such a clown, dude. Uh, I love this. I love that he's just like, there's cars in Europe, so we shouldn't build bike lanes. Like it's just such a lazy, right. lazy structuring you know, of an argument.
2: I've been to. You know, there's a lot more of in Europe bike lanes oh wow <laughs> they also have
0: uh, smaller cars that are stick shift that use less gas and mopeds yes. that use less gas and streets that are like ancient but historical that they can't change so they have to work with this fucking system that's a lot harder than Toronto and frankly I think they do a bit better of a job of making things equitable for all sorts of transportation they do and I think way that, better
1: way uh, better we are a car-based nation, yeah. and it's very, 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 very annoying because I don't like driving because I broke my neck and it's hard to look at my blind spots. So I just kind of uh, I just switch lanes and hope for the best, you know.
0: I find I find driving very stressful. At least in Toronto, it's tolerable in, in outside the city, which is where I think it should be relegated to, pretty much. Like more so, and then even then, I think we should be exploring like other transportation op- options. I'm just like a shill for big cycles, so.
1: Yeah, you're bought and paid for. Okay, let's get through this, because this guy, this guy sucks. <laughs> it's, okay, my take, because the rest of the column wasn't his take. Uh, most on council forget that Toronto is a mega city. It is more than the lake up to Bloor and Parliament in the east over to Bathurst. It's the Rouge River to the 427 and the north to the 407, approximately. And if you're living out there and working downtown, you are not going to ride your bike. Nor are the people commuting in from Oakville and Whitby, or Kitchener and Peterborough. Those people are not Lance Armstrong, semicolon. They ride the go and the bus and subway and most of all they drive. That's right. They drive. Does
2: that trigger you, Liv?
1: <laughs> I just love how he's just like every single person in Kitchener drives into Toronto to work. Like I know I know a person who does that.
2: Yeah, Kitchener's pretty far from Toronto for commuting. Yay. I love how he like lists more environmentally
0: friendly and probably cheaper options that are not super cheaper options we should invest more in. And then he's just like, yeah, but most people drive because that's their right." But like...
2: also now now bear with me for a moment. What if there was a good cross GTA transit system and a network of bike lanes? So people who are pushed out of Toronto because they can't afford to keep up with the urban sprawl can ride their bike to a transit station and then commute to work from there and not have to drive.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. That sounds like communism. Yeah, it does sound like communism, Jeremy. Norris has a retort to that. When the pandemic wanes, and it will sooner or later, this is very scientific, and the people who can't work from home go back to the office... Because everybody works in offices. Uh, they will not be crazy about riding transit. Because Norris hates transit. Uh, not for a while anyways. Which means they are uh, going to be driving their cars. Because everybody has cars. In fact, dealers are reporting that people are buying again. They're buying cars. May sales were way up over April's. Uh, and once they get used to driving those cars downtown again. Cars are good. It will be a long time before they give them up. City Council has been living in a dream world for years, because they like bikes. Times have been good, and Toronto's on top. It might not be after the pandemic. Those folks would be wise to pay a little less attention to the bike lobby, which isn't all that big, and a lot more to the car crowd, which is huge. And why is it huge? Because Norris is in it, baby.
2: Man, just, just, just say Jews, Norris. We know you're talking <laughs> about Jews, <laughs>
1: Yeah, sorry for editorializing that last little bit, but I uh
0: no, nah, no, nah, this is shite. This is this is absolute yeah, trash. No,
2: this is this is obviously beneath the Toronto Star. That that said, Torstar is a very shitty media company, like Postmedia. Mm-hmm. It's editorial bent generally and historically hasn't been as socially destructive because it actually has principles.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: But they still produce content like this, and they're still laying off reporters and getting rid of columnists like Desmond Cole, who fall out of line, or cutting back their the frequency of their contributions, like Linda McQuaig, who is two, two people who I consider to be two of the best journalists in Canada. Yeah. And then they're publishing this, which would fit. This is like a Toronto Sun editorial.
1: Yeah, it's really, really dumb. And I mean, like, you're right that (laughs) we we give Taurus a lot of credit. And then we forget the fact that they invested millions of dollars into an app that was only available for tablets.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So, like, I don't know if Norris is is like a crazy right wing crank. I think he's just a crank that really likes cars. At least that's what he's he's exposed here. Like I don't I don't think he he gives a shit about anything but cars. I don't think he's a very political person. I think he's just mad that it's not going to be as easy to drive his dumb car into cyclists downtown. Like that's that's what this feels like to me. Like I don't I don't know if you guys have the same same take. No, nope, that's ex- that's exactly how
0: I feel. Uh I think you hit the nail on the head. That was a good take from Norris. He's a big <laughs> he's a big fan of cars, but I think we should move on. Yeah. To- to another fan, and uh, this fan is star entertainment columnist Vinay Menon. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering his name. Anyways, Mr. Menon... is the Stars Entertainment columnist and the author of such hits as Hey Trumpville, Leave Baby Yoda Out of Your Memes, Justin Trudeau, Can't Do the Job, Call in David Ayers, the Emergency Backup Prime Minister, and now infected with COVID-19, CNN's Chris Cuomo has become the most compelling voice on cable news. Wow. Yeah.
2: Can we just take a sec to laugh at that? yeah of course <laughs> the, the guy the guy who interviews his brother who is the governor of new york yeah
1: yeah is is the the type of hard-hitting journalism we need at least. yeah there's nothing nothing better in journalism when when they pull back the curtain they and they uh very openly discuss how the the interview is a softball interview it's a uh, it's nice to see that so
0: uh Clearly from those three articles, too, it's like Vinet has one one foot in the entertainment realm and, and one foot in politics. But, but as we're about to see today, sometimes those things shouldn't mix. Uh, oh and the title of this article that we're looking at today is Why Natalie Portman and Other Celebs Are Wrong to Jump on the Hashtag Defund the Police Bandwagon. Okay. Sick. So he starts off. I always get nervous when celebrities demand sweeping social change that does not affect them. Okay. Take the defund the police movement <laughs> that is gaining a foothold across the continent in the wake of the George Floyd mur- George Floyd murder and global protests. The argument, to oversimplify, goes something like this: We need less policing. Departments have now have too many bad apples or too much systemic barrel rot that is leading to racial injustice. Uh,
2: which one is it, Vine <laughs> wh- wh- Which one? Answer like, the question. Yeah, like either. Departments just have a lot of bad apples or there's something wrong with policing systems, which were established in Canada to protect Europeans' private property while they pushed indigenous people off their lands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's really like, who's to say, who's to say? I mean, one side says this, the other says that, and it's not, you know, as, as a, as a newspaper columnist, it's not his job or anything to take a stand.
0: Yeah, well, he doesn't know. Like, what if we imagined law and order? I don't know, is what he says. <laughs> and If criminals are breaking into my house at 3 a.m., as once happened to me, I take real comfort in knowing a squad car with armed cops is only a 911 call away. He's really showing his privilege here, but, like, also just, like, friggin' he's comforted by the cops but gets nervous by celebrities wanting
1: social change. So th- this is where this is where his priorities are. It says it all. I don't know if he knows how nine one one calls work. Like they, oh yeah, it's not like you call and they they bust the door down. Like (laughs) it's gonna take a while. You're gonna get robbed, bud. I was gonna, I was gonna say you're absolutely, uh, you're right
0: about that, Eric. I, I laughed at the fact that he thinks they're just gonna like instantly be there when like your house has been broken into. What about this? What about? What about when the cops break into your home because they have an arrest warrant and they shoot you 8 times and kill you? Yeah,
1: and it's for the wrong like it's they came to the wrong house.
0: Yeah. What about that? Yeah. There's an alternative little uh wacky scenario. Yeah, they're not
1: Yeah, no one's no one's like we should defund the police because uh I don't want you to be able to call 911 when you need them. That's no. not the point. That people are trying to make.
2: Right. It's that you should be able to call people who are public servants, like the cops are perceived as being, who have specific training in your need, not expecting cops to serve as a social worker, a security guard, an investigator and all of the above these are all jobs Mm -hmm. that can be done much more constructively by other members of society Mm -hmm. it's just the the important thing is we have to guard against privatizing criminal justice right that's why i emphasize public servants
1: yeah because
2: Mm. we don't want to live in robocop
1: as the robocop it'd
2: be cool yeah if
0: you're the aesthetically yeah it's like let's go for it why not Anyways, uh he continues with some dumb like his response like what would I do go downstairs and ask the criminals to leave and he's trying to be all funny but it's just a little pathetic. And he goes into this uh, Maybe I'm not grasping the nuances of defund the police the way Natalie Portman does. Uh, This week, the actress took to Instagram to say, When I first heard uh, defund the police, I have to admit my first reaction was fear, Portman wrote. Uh, My whole life, police have made me feel safe. But that's exactly the center of my white privilege. The police make me as a white woman feel safe. While my black friends, family, and neighbors feel the opposite. Police make them feel terror. Uh, now, oh, first
2: of all, I, I think I, I just wanted to point out that this, like, not-so-subtle dig at Natalie Portman's intelligence is completely unwarranted. Uh, if he had done his research, Natalie Portman is very well-educated. Oh, yeah. Uh, I thought her speaks... statement was
0: extremely, like, like honest, and, like, she put herself out there and admitted, like,
2: her own privilege. Well, but she, she has brain for sure. Yeah. But... She studied at Harvard University in 2003 to get her bachelor's degree in psychology. But then she attended grad school in, uh, at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, right? So she has a master's. But when she went to Harvard, you know who she studied under? Don don don.
1: Alan Dershowitz. No, <laughs> oh. yeah, fuck I could, yeah. I could tell by how excited you got that it was Dershowitz.
2: <laughs> I, but but she's six not. Of Epstein. She, she's not in the black book. Um, no, she's not in the black book or the flight logs. I just want to clear that up.
0: Ligenauer, uh goes on to say, ironically, that the people who need law enforcement the most live in poor neighborhoods where crime and violence are far greater daily threat than any wayward and homicidal officers. Uh, Portman says the sixth leading cause of death for black males in America is the police. I respectfully encourage her to take a a closer look at the top five. So this is, this is a little shitty black on black fucking violence like thing, or like what's the other implication? The other ones are like heart disease and cancer. So so it's Hmm. like, oh, they're all their own worst fucking enemy. Is that what you're fucking
2: saying? I wonder if that has anything to do with the United States not having universal health care. And maybe, maybe if police weren't buying fucking tanks and military grade armaments, maybe that money could be spent
1: on health care. Yeah, mm-hmm. but why would you want to do that, right? Like, why would you want to help people live good lives, right? It's, it's, it's... The, the other part that really, really bothers me about that graph is is the fact that he, he brings up that poor neighborhoods are the places where they need law enforcement the most. Like, poor people are inherently uh, predisposed to committing crimes more and not, yes. not because they're, they're policed much heavier than wealthy neighborhoods. And people are criminalized for existing in these spaces. It's just such a dumb thing that he's saying. He's like, oh. He,
0: he, yes, he he looks at things like the police and crime as if they're like fixtures of society that need to be there because they're never going to go away. But crime is a symptom of a problem. And ideally, the police should not exist. Anyways, we we should move on. I'll just say that Vinay is telling people in poor neighborhoods what they need. How is what you're doing as a newspaper columnist any different than what Natalie Portman is doing with her platform? Sorry, it's not different. At least Natalie Portman has a skill set beyond writing a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, yeah. She um, actually made a point. Yes. Uh, yeah, a good one. Anyways, moving on. Obviously, he says, uh, the George Floyd case is a wake-up call, the likes of which has I have not seen since Rodney King. And society is right to analyze it under a microscope looking for the disease. Okay, then why did you write this column? That video was just horrific. Just thinking about it will always leave me queasy and enraged and heartbroken. That wasn't an arrest. It was a snuff film, kind of a weird line uh, but but is less policing really the best way to deal with bad policing? What's the difference? <laughs> if a surgeon is charged with malpractice, we don't shun medicine. Oh
2: Jesus no this is this is the the next sentence though, is an incredible self out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I had a few I, moronic teachers in grade school. Yeah, abolishing... first of all, the education system never once dawned on me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> first of all, Vine,
2: we know you had more than a few moronic teachers in grade school.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Secondly, education has been getting defunded like throughout our entire lifetimes. So, this notion that maybe we should give the cops less money with the end goal of moving away for policing as a form of social control mm-hmm. is a pretty reasonable assertion. And I don't care if you're Natalie Portman or my drunk ass next door neighbor. Like, by the way, Vine Menon is friends with Jordan Peterson. Oh um, God. He, he mentions, he did a column recently about Joe Rogan's podcast being purchased by Spotify and he says near the top he's like look i only listen to joe rogan because jordan peterson told me to. and so anyway. and the, the, that's the only reason i point that out is i think it's reflective of that mentality where it's just like we are all atomized individuals and if you if you're depressed and you're down about the state of the world just just clean your room just work work on yourself don't try and create solidarity with other people who feel alienated. Just focus on yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, find a romantic partner. Start a family. And just go through the daily dred- drudgery. And pretend it's normal. Yeah. We can become better individuals at the same time as working to, to better, build a so, better society. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. those are not incompatible goals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we're almost at the
0: end of this uh it's, it's a lot worse than when I read it earlier. No, it's infuriating. <laughs> you, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, however filthy it may seem in a flashbulb moment. If anything, I'd argue the protests prove we need more policing, more as I italicize, but with better police. Ugh, you lick the boot. Yeah, uh,
2: no, like, straight up. Like, that, that was exactly my thought when I just reread that. Now.
0: Seriously. It's
2: like, like, you're still a person of color you're still more likely to be harassed by cops than me your white peers and and if it doesn't happen to you just
0: take people's fucking word for it don't yeah. take police powerful police unions and cops who are not held accountable don't don't They're they are the people with too much power in society that we should not be listening to sir Anyway, but they've also, so the, so the part the peaceful, the process has been peaceful, blah, blah, blah. But they've also been marred by those who capitalize the moment of this history to loot and destroy property. Oh no. While inflicting chaos with respect to Portman, if I owned a small business and helplessly watched cable news as a mob of thugs smashed through the storefront glass. It took off my inventory my first second or third reaction would not be to defund the police no it would be to phone the police and hide in a corner and write a column about your brave actions where you were hiding or something yeah
2: well also i i I find the word the use of the word thugs very revealing yes i mean i know that Vinay probably doesn't know a lot about the history of race in this country, because if he did, he wouldn't publish this drivel. But thugs is a racist dog whistle, a a clearly constructed racist dog whistle. So you can talk about being tough on crime and law and order without saying the N word, right? You just replace that with thugs. And at the very least, an editor at the Toronto star should have seen that. And changed it or even question the entire premise of this take and at the very least ask for like significant rewrites
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah yeah i don't think this thing should have been published period i don't think it contributes anything other than um giving this guy a little bit of money like i i I mean it got some serious backlash on Twitter. It kind of it kind of
0: fizzled quickly, but people were pissed off when they first saw it.
1: No, they should be. It's a terrible terrible opinion from a, a not not a great thinker.
0: Now there is just a little bit more, but we will like close it off. Yeah. Um in this uh is this moment a reckoning for law enforcement? Absolutely, but the police are like a fire extinguisher you never use them until you need them. That's dumb. And then he goes on to use the phrase like celebrities who will never have who will never have to worry about personal security or property damage should now i think celebrities are in more of a threatening position and have to worry about security than you think
2: should now like like what else do celebrities have to worry about like they have everything but if you're a celebrity of color Again, that doesn't stop you from being profiled. I mean, look at the, the Raptors GM whose name yes. Masai Ujiri. I'm going Masai, to butcher. Masai off Ujiri. Top of my head. Yeah, I mean, he was profiled walking on to the court after, they after won. the team he's the yeah. general manager of won the NBA championship.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was wild. And
2: mind you, he's not a major celebrity, but please, every, I'm sure every wealthy person of color, except for maybe Vinay has the story of how they were othered despite their wealth. Yeah. Well, he shows his hand again. Uh,
0: So celebrities who will never have to worry about personal security or property damage should at least now think of all this through before hurling thunderbolts from the virtue-signaling clouds of social media. Uh, By all means, ruthlessly purge bad cops. Get rid of them and good riddance. But let's not choke reality. You never... Uh, know how much you need the police until you do hey dude i can't believe that of all the things in here that flip little like play on the george floyd death was published but i just want to say directly to you for for writing that fuck you that's disgusting and that's bad journalism
2: yeah yeah i mean again he's an inter he's a pop culture columnist yeah but you don't like you don't make
0: fucking like puns about the way this like flashpoint this dude who was like a flashpoint of racial violence who like was murdered by police uh yeah by making like, a, a pun about the moment
1: yeah so uh so which piece do you guys think was worse that's a good question i think
2: in terms of a piece that casts in troubling shadow over the future of the Toronto Star under its new private owners. Definitely the first piece, Norris McDonald's anti cyclist rant. Because, I mean, Vinay Menon is, I mean, he's been doing this for a while. He's like Rosie DeMano. Like, yeah, he sucks, but the Star's general output in terms of op ed columns is left-leaning, so fine, you provide a counterbalance. But inviting this guy who essentially writes promoted content for car companies for the Toronto Star to write an opinion piece about how cyclists are causing the downfall of Western civilization or something is much worse, in my view. It's much more pernicious, and it's much more socially
1: damaging. I want to agree with you cuz I laughed more reading Norris's piece, but I honestly I I don't know if in good conscience I can I can compare the two. Like I I think Vinay's piece is is much more damaging socially cuz he's he's dismissing the lives of human beings because a rich person decided to to join the conversation. And it it's like Right. It's a uh, as much as I I want to just be like Norris is a fucking idiot and just like close out on giggling about it, like I can't. That re-
2: that reminds me of what really galls me about the Menon take is that he's punching. He's using the guise of punching up and mm-hmm. attacking the rich and famous to punch down. Yeah. At that's a really good way of Victims of it. police brutality.
0: They're, they're both. They're both kind of doing the same thing but i think it's worse the implications are worse in Menon's piece because there's like it's it's violence based and, and it's not just like dumb yeah. like the car stuff is important but like i i think i think i have to give it to to vinay yeah, and, uh, and it, honestly, it, it made me ma- it made me more mad yeah, and i
1: think it's more you guys are legitimately angry damage right now and it rules i'm happy that you're mad because it it is a a much it's a much more socially damaging piece because i mean at the end of the day norris is gonna die in like a week he's like 900 <laughs> years old and he's gonna be buried in a ford model t and everyone's gonna um it's gonna be a drive-in funeral because uh you know star editors <laughs> of Wheels or whatever but it's it's like his opinion is that of an old crank who has no idea um, how a city should be functioning because the world has passed him by. Like, Vinay is... is I, Like, I feel like he's young. I feel like he's going to be around for a long time. And he's, like, middle-aged,
2: yeah.
0: He's definitely younger than uh, the Crypt Keeper.
2: Do, do you guys know if Norris's piece was published in the A section? I do not. Uh, it... Yeah, no, I'm not quizzing you. I don't I don't know either. And I'm operating under the assumption that it was that they sort of I draft, think... they drafted him up from Little League, the wheels section, you to you play don't... in the big leagues. Whereas Vinay he's a in former, the Stars... He's a former wheels editor, I think. Yeah, I don't think he works. Anymore. Well, I, the bio says that he's now on contract, which oh. if that doesn't tell you about Torstar's corporate culture. I don't oh, know what yeah. does. Yeah. Like, right. No loyalty to look. The guy's an idiot, but he's obviously been in a while.
0: I'm 78 years old and I'm on my third internship.
2: <laughs> <laughs> in, 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 in any event, did you guys chase these shots down with any good takes this week or any good pieces of reporting or books? Have you consumed any good content? that takes away the bitter
1: taste of this trash we just read. No, it's a a blank no from me.
2: Um, I'm going to do sort of a double plug where I shamelessly promote a piece I wrote for Canadian Dimension on the COVID crisis and the acceleration of corporate surveillance as all our conversations are, of course, being mediated by these massive tech companies that profit from the sale of our data. I mean, right now we're talking on Google Hangout. But, so I'm going to recommend that, but I'm also going to recommend a most excellent book that I really based this column off of uh, called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. Who, and this was written in the olden days, right before March and it just details how these big company, big tech companies are creating this new economy where we're the product that they're selling. And there are no greater offenders in that regard as Google and Facebook. So read my piece. I would recommend... I'm a bit biased, but I'd recommend that as a starting point. If you like it, read The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. In actually... The Financial Post. So we got to give credit where credit's due. This is a very good piece of reporting by a guy named James McLeod, And the headline of the piece is Double Double Tracking. How Tim Hortons knows where you sleep, work, and vacation. And it's pretty troubling to know how much Tim Hortons knows about you and how little much of that information has to do with ordering coffee. And so I would, I, I would also, so I guess I have three <laughs> good things I read or wrote this week. Just, uh,
0: I'll, I'll point. I did read something good this week. It's a feature on the family of, uh, her name is Regis Korczynski packet. She was the woman who fell to her death, sadly in police, uh, in the company of police, uh, who were doing a wellness check and the uh, has since become sort of like a focal point one of the people like touted as important to the the protests against police brutality but it's a feature that uh, speaks with the family on the day of the funeral uh, the quote is that they lead with is I want people to know she's more than just a f- hashtag now don't get me wrong the dad was wearing the black lives matter like t-shirt and stuff they're embracing that too but it's like it it's important to name victims of police brutality. It's important to like look at their lives because that's part of like fighting against uh, that's, that's part of the fight. Yeah. And listening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's by Patrick white and it's in the globe. You can find it online.
2: Yeah. Patrick white. He he's a, he's a quite good reporter.
0: He he's, you know what? I was just looking it up. He's pretty good. I've liked what I've read of his in the globe and he's pretty young. So it's like, again, more people, more good reporters. You know, like one of the best lessons I ever uh, got in journalism school. Shout out to Rob Lomberti. Come on the pod, Rob. It's not about you. It's about the story. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: That's our show for this week. Big Shiny Takes is a part of the Ricochet Media Podcast Network, featured alongside amazing shows like The Progress Report and The Alberta Advantage. If you liked our podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. And follow us on social media at Big BigShinyTakes. Talk to you next week.